Step into my library, won't you, and have a seat by the fire. This is Jennifer Passarello from Circa19XX.com and the Circa Sunday Night Podcast. But tonight, we're not in either of those places. We're in the Vintage Century Reading Room, and I have a book to share with you that have been lost in the mists of time. Let's have a little read, shall we? How could I be lonely with a friend like you? For you're driving all my cares away. Hello there. How have you been? Well, I've been on vacation, so in other words, I've been great. (laughs) Actually, this has been a staycation because I haven't gone anywhere. But I love staycations, don't you? There are so many things that I like to do, so many creative impulses that I want to act on that I can't really act on when I'm working. So it feels really good to have the freedom to spend each day doing the quiet little things that I enjoy. For example, I've been working on a new necklace today. You know, a long time ago, I bought this beautiful strand of very large Asian-inspired celadon glass beads, just the most beautiful color. But you know what? I never did anything with them, which is often the case, by the way. So I'll buy beads and then I put them in my collection and I don't do anything with them for a long time. Well, fast forward to last week, I found a long strand of beautiful, creamy, off-white stone beads at my favorite thrift store. And it was a very long strand. I mean, it was like a two-foot strand of these beautiful, beautiful beads. And I got them for a song. So it turns out those creamy beads look fantastic with my celadon beads. So that's how I spent my afternoon. You know, I get lost in my little bead studio, and how very nice that is. And now I'm by the fire with our little book in my lap. Oh, and here comes Olive. What's up, Olive? Now, for those of you who don't know, Olive is my little Maltese, and now she's laying down with her tummy facing the fire. She's so cute. I know what's going to happen. In about five minutes, she's going to get too hot, And then she's going to have to move. (laughs) But there is something so comforting about the warmth from the fire. So I guess I understand. I understand where she's coming from. I wish you could see this room. I have the lights down low because I've got all the lights from the Christmas decorations going. And those lights, along with the fire, cast this beautiful warm glow over everything. Before I started recording, I just sat here in silence, just sort of breathing it all in. You know, I'm thinking of finding ways to decorate with those white fairy lights all year long. Is that weird? I don't know if that's... Well, no, it's not weird. I've seen people do that, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. And I love that look. I don't know. I'm still still thinking about how that might work after the holidays. Anyway... Let's take a look at ourselves by reading Chapter 2 of John Homer Miller's Take a Look at Yourself. Now, if you've just discovered this podcast, you might want to go back and listen to the last episode where we read Chapter 1. Take a Look at Yourself is a book that's no longer in print. It was written in 1943. Before we dive into Chapter 2, let's recall the two disciplines that Miller told us about in Chapter 1. So, remember the first was 
discipline yourself daily to live up to the highest and best that you know. And number two was discipline yourself to live by some design, under some vision, for some purpose greater than yourself. Okay, now on to chapter two. And this chapter is entitled, Four Things You Must Have. Four things you must have. You have four moral and spiritual needs which crave satisfaction. If not satisfied, they'll seek expression in ways that are abnormal, tragic, or even criminal. What are these four needs? Your first need is the opportunity to express yourself through work. You crave to do something which is creative, to carve for yourself a niche in the world to feel yourself a part of a great ongoing procession that is moving toward a worthwhile goal. The tragedy of our times is that many worthwhile people find it impossible to obtain work in which they're interested and for which they're fitted. The work that they're compelled to do makes it difficult for them to see their efforts serving the great goal in which, in their youth, they dreamed of giving their lives. They work each day with no satisfying end in view. In them is being developed the mentality of slaves, the belief that work is a curse, something to be avoided, as little of it to be done as possible. Now, if you're one of those enthusiastic workers who sees your efforts serving a great and noble purpose, don't think it unusual if sometimes you must force yourself to office, to the study, to the field, or to the marketplace. However, if you are one of those fierce, hungry workers who labors to give, You have something which the man who merely labors to get pathetically lacks. You have a love for your work which is almost akin to worship. Your work is a part of your religion. There's an interplay between the two. The one reinforces the other. Your work prepares you for worship. Your worship recreates in you a love and loyalty which sends you back to your work. Indeed, the loyalty which holds you to the routine of your job through moods of discontent and disillusionment, is not altogether different from that loyalty which makes saints, heroes, and martyrs. When you really love your work, and when you see it serving a greater eternal purpose, you come to feel that there's some work in this world that never will be done if you do not do it, that you are a co-worker with God. It is thus that Stradivarius thought of himself and his violins. When any master holds twixt chin and hand a violin of mine, he will be glad that Stradivari lived, made violins, and made them the best. The masters only know whose work is good. They will choose mine, and while God gives them skill, I give them instruments to play upon, God choosing me to help him. He could not make Antonio Stradivari's violins without Antonio. Work, when directed to a great and noble end, puts meaning into your life, permanency into your soul, and a path beneath your feet that leads to God. You have a second need, equally important, which must find normal expression. Seemingly, it's the direct opposite of work. We speak of it as play. Three thousand years ago, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes saw that there is something of divineness about play. 
that every man, he said, should eat and drink and enjoy good in all his labor, is the gift of God. Play gives you rest, change, fresh surfaces, and a clearer outlook upon life. Most men would achieve greater success if they had the capacity to carry the spirit of play into their work. We're beginning to recognize that play is not only recreation, but has the power to recreate. You do your best work when the spirit of play, adventure, and good sportsmanship is injected into it. The central emphasis of the teachings of Christ was a plea that we exercise the spirit of adventure, play, and good sportsmanship in our daily living. He pleads with us to be willing to hazard all for our faith. He asks us to abide by the great rules of living which he called commandments of God. He asks that we be as modest winners and good losers in life as we are in play. He pleads with us to recognize in our relationship with God the same principles of give and take which are so apparent in play. That you receive what you give, he vividly expresses when he says, Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Christ appeals to you to be willing to hazard all, to give up everything if need be, home, property, friends, wealth, if they stand in the way of achieving life's greatest values. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Many people who call themselves Christian exercise good sportsmanship everywhere but in religion. They'll make investments in real estate and gamble on the margin, but when it comes to religion, they want absolute assurance before they'll risk a thought or a prayer. When such people come into a church or contemplate Christian discipleship, they act as though they're conferring a favor upon the church. I know people who did not receive the appreciation or consideration which they thought they should have had from the church and, because they were not good losers, have not darkened the doors of a church for years. So your second great need, when you satisfied in the service of a great and noble end, puts meaning into your life, permanency into your soul, and a path beneath your feet that leads to God. Your third great need is love. Love lightens and strengthens you for work. It teaches you how and why to work. It prepares you for worship. It's a road along which you move toward religion. Love enables you to understand the great realities of religion. God is love, and God so loved the world. These concepts would not be understandable if you lacked the capacity for love. Your human love at any moment shades off into divine love. Two people who truly love each other find themselves ushered into a relationship which has something of a divineness about it. Love between two people is not on a solid foundation if it does not cause them to feel that their relationship is symbolic, a small addition, if you please, of the infinite love which pervades the universe. Because Christ is in a relationship of spiritual continuity with each one of us who does His will, the love which you express has its effect somewhere else and spreads as concentric circles spread when you throw a pebble into the water until your love is transmitted to humanity and to the universe as a whole. Your human love and the love pervading the universe are inseparable. One reinforces and shades off into the other. Recall the character Scrooge in Dickens' Christmas Carol, whose life was changed and transformed 
when, one night in a dream, he felt the love of God pervading his soul. In normal times, you remember, he had the heart of a clam. He was not interested in people at all, except for what they were worth to him. His presence chilled them, made them uncomfortable. His departure was a relief. He made others feel ill at ease. He was far more unhappy than they, but he could not run away from himself. Then he had his dream. The next morning, when he looked out of the window, the whole world was changed. He thought it was a beautiful day. He saw a boy running across the street. He thought him a wonderful boy. His daily life became filled with zest and gusto. He worked more fiercely, yet with more ease. He played and romped with children. He had no more dull days. Divine love had completely transformed his relations with men. It's equally true, as I've already suggested, that your human love may lead to the discovery of the divine. So love is your third basic need. When it finds its expression in the service of a great and noble end, it puts meaning into your life, permanency into your soul, and a path beneath your feet that leads to God. Your last great need is the worship of something in life beyond yourself and great enough to gather your life together and make it whole. Work, love, and play make a strong team together, and they brace and reinforce each other. Yet they all leave you scattered, rudderless, and unsatisfied without the worship of something greater than yourself which pulls you together and gives you a soul. Your life attains creative power only in worship. Indeed, worship is the source of all your originality because it sends you back to your origin. Worship is one of the central activities of all great living. Sensible and intelligent people worship regularly. They've learned that only by worshiping something above them can their fragmentary lives be gathered together and central meaning be put into their multitudinous tasks. The harder you work or play, the more intensely you devote yourself to whatever or whomever you love, the more deeply should you feel the need to refresh and reinforce yourself in the unifying, organizing, health-restoring, personality-building consequences of true worship. Today there are evidences that thoughtful people increasingly realize that the time they spend in worship is most valuable in self-restoring and personality-building consequences. Ten years ago, Roger Babson observed, People are seeking blindly for something more than the rush of business and the excitement of thrill-chasing. They have, in fact, seen their houses become top-heavy and crash. They've attempted to live independently of God, and now they're down on their knees trying to learn like little children. The beginning of wisdom is faith. Underneath the slowly crumbling agnosticism and materialism of our time, there runs a note of wistfulness. The scientific attitude has completely changed. The best in science is giving us spiritual interpretation of the universe, replacing the materialistic conception of a generation ago. Dr. Compton of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology has said, From my point of view, the fundamentals of religion, as expressed in the teachings of Christ, are not opposed to science. They're essential today, as they have ever been. The wisest physicians see the value of worship, prayer, and meditation 
because of their power to lift a man above his distractions of the world beneath him and pull his life together. In this modern world, with your daily living scattered in all directions, you need some secret place in your life where you can climb up and look down upon it all. The Reverend Sylvester Hone used to enjoy telling his class the noble thoughts which came to him in this garden. The students were so thrilled with his inspiring thoughts that they desired to see the place where he enjoyed his meditations. One day, two of the boys came to the professor's home and were invited into his garden. Imagine their astonishment when they saw nothing but a narrow strip of land surrounded by high walls. Why, doctor, said one of the boys, surely this is not the garden where all of your inspiring thoughts came. Oh, yes, replied Mr. Horn. But it's so small, the student protested. Yes, replied the professor, pointing to the sky. But look how high it is. Worship has such an elevating, integrating influence. It is a man with his soul looking up, seeking something beyond that which will put meaning into the distractions of his world beneath. One of my former teachers tells this experience. One Sunday, some time ago, I was worshiping in a church, not my own. It was a simple but a very beautiful service. When the minister began to pray, in a voice quiet in tone and rich in its suggestion of feeling, I listened intently for a few moments. Presently, the soft tones of the choir response brought me back into the consciousness of my surroundings. While the minister prayed, I had been praying too. Such worship puts real meaning into your life, permanency into your soul, and a pathway beneath your feet that leads to God. Your four needs, when completely satisfied and expressed, become your secret of a healthy, happy, and successful personality. They have their origin in God, and when you satisfy them in the service of the same great purpose, they lead you directly to God. By them, work, play, love, and worship, the heart can push the sea and land farther away on either hand. The soul can split the sky in two and let the face of God shine through. Okay, so according to John Homer Miller, we probably need to take inventory of our lives and see if we really and truly have these four things. Work is the first thing. So we need to try to find the meaningfulness of the work that we do, regardless of what that work is. So, you know, one of the things he mentioned was that work is the part that we play in the world. There is meaning in it. We may just have to dig deep to find it. (laughs) The second thing that we need is play. And I interpret that as joy. We're meant to enjoy our lives. So we should approach life with a lightheartedness. And maybe not take ourselves quite so seriously. The third thing that we need is love. That's the next must-have. And I have to admit, I wish he would have gone into a little bit more detail with this one. I don't know, maybe he does later in the book. But the reason I say that is because I just get this impression that people no longer have a proper understanding of what love is. And I don't know, maybe I don't either. But I get this idea that everybody thinks that Love is just this intense feeling, or it's the equivalent of really, really 
liking someone. And I do think it's partly that, but more importantly, I've always thought of love as being like this willingness to make sacrifices for someone else, to put someone else first, and then also to really commit ourselves to protecting them from moral and physical harm. I don't know. I never hear love really described in those ways, but that's kind of how I interpret it. So I don't know. Maybe we'll hear more about that in future chapters. And then the fourth thing that we must have is worship. And I interpret this as taking real action to follow God, not just believe in him, right? Anybody could say, oh, yes, I believe in God. But this would involve engaging with him, asking for his help, expressing gratitude to him, acknowledging our complete and total reliance on him. And then also, I think it involves going to where his people are, being part of that community. Now, when I look at these four things, work, play, love, and worship, I think the hardest one for me is going to be work. (laughs) Um, You know, I think it's very hard sometimes to see the meaningfulness in what you're doing at work, isn't it? I, I don't even think it really matters what your job is. You could have the most important job in the world or, you know, the most entry-level job in the world, and it's really hard to find the meaningfulness there sometimes. But I think that's what I'm going to double down on when I go back to work. So I go back to work this, uh, well, tomorrow, actually. I go back to work tomorrow, and I think I'm going to have to really double down and see if I can find the meaningfulness there. And then once I find it, How am I going to approach my work a little differently? I don't know. It's going to be a challenge. Okay, so that's it for Chapter 2. Bye for now, and I'll meet you in a couple of Sundays for Chapter 3. Have a great couple of weeks, and I'll see you soon. (laughs) 